Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Appreciate it. Jeff and I both went to Ohio State. And uh, last night I had the privilege of speaking here at the campus uh, during the Ohio State game. It was great, me and the four other people who were in the, in the room. I'm so glad they're not playing this morning. Hey, I'm going to add one thing to what Jeff said. And uh, it, when you came in, you received a, a bulletin, a, a worship bulletin. And on there, one of the panels, it says warming the community. We're doing it different this year. And for several weekends, we're collecting in the trough out in the lobby new coats, socks, and gloves. We're just trying to help in whatever we can, those who do get cold during the winter months. And uh, so this is kind of cool. We put a little uh, QR code there. You scan that, you'll go right to, our, to an Amazon wish list where, where you can easily have some things shipped to you and then brought in next weekend is the last weekend we're collecting. So we would love to have you be a part of that, all right? Warming the community. Good deal. All right. Hey, um, maybe you've been here for all 21 weeks, maybe not, but for the last 21 weekends, we have looked at the Gospel of John, and we have studied the character of God through looking at the life of Jesus, and it has been awesome. But starting today, right up till Advent season, we are going back into the Old Testament, into what is called the wisdom literature. We're not leaving Jesus behind. We'll take him with us, and I'll talk about that at the end of the message, all right? Uh, So this is it. Wisdom literature or the wisdom books. Stop learning things the hard way. I could probably show you bruises that I gained through life when I hit my head against the wall so many times trying to go at life the way I thought was best rather than using God's wisdom. So let's together learn how to stop learning things the hard way. Let's learn what God has to say about wisdom. Now, what I want to do today is simply introduce you to the wisdom literature, to the wisdom books. And um, this is my hope, that, that somehow you will be drawn in to reading some of the wisdom literature on your own. All right? So let's, let's start with this. The, in the, there are 66 books in the Bible. 39 of those are in the Old Testament. And in the English Bible, our Bible, the Bible you use, there are three general categories. There are the historical books. That's like Genesis, Exodus. You go up to Joshua and Judges, and you get to Ezra and Esther and the Chronicles. And these are all the historical books that tell you the history of Israel, God's story. And these are where some of the greatest Bible stories come from that we tell in the children's area that you might tell your kids at home. And then there are the prophetic books. There are the longer prophecy books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but there are the shorter ones like Nahum and Jonah and Malachi and the shortest of all, Obadiah. And many of these books give us a lot of insight to the first and second comings of Christ. But the third general category in your Old Testament are the poetic books, or called the wisdom books, and there are five of them. Let me walk you through those briefly. The first one is Psalms. Actually, in your Bible, Job comes before Psalms. I'll come back to Job in a moment. But Psalms, there are 150 Psalms. 
They are the songs of the human heart. They express every emotion you could possibly have. That's why it's worth reading the Psalms. And then there's the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. This is the ooh-la-la book. This is the, this is the book that expresses the romance between a husband and wife within marriage. It's rated, I'm not sure what it's rated, but it's hot. It's hot and heavy, all right? At some point, we'll come back to Psalms and Song of Songs, but not for this series. The three wisdom books we're going to focus on are Proverbs. We'll spend seven weekends going through Proverbs, looking at seven different themes, and I'll get to that in a few moments. And then we'll come to Ecclesiastes just in one weekend. We'll talk about Ecclesiastes. And then Job just in one weekend, a message on Job. And I think you'll be surprised how much we can say about both Ecclesiastes and Job in separate messages, just one message each, all right? So um, let, let's, let's, uh, let's begin by talking about the book of Proverbs, all right? Um, in fact, let me start by putting this on the screen. And we're going to leave this on the screen for a few moments if you want to take a picture of this, because I want to tell you about this, this daily devotional. There are 365 devotionals in this book. My wife, Annette, and I... For three years, we go through this just about every morning together. It's a beautiful devotional on the different uh, uh, Proverbs that we find in the book of Proverbs. And then it ends with uh, a great, uh, some great questions and uh, a great prayer. And we have found this to be a wonderful discussion point for us. For three years, we've done this. And I don't see us stopping anytime soon. I tell you this because I encourage you to go to Amazon and buy it and use it. All right? So we'll leave this up here just for a few moments if you want to take a picture. Uh, Proverbs is mostly written by Solomon, the son of King David, once considered to be the wisest man on earth. It's filled with Proverbs. You know what a proverb is. We know what modern-day Proverbs are, right? An apple a day keeps the... Yeah, beggars can't be... Don't judge a book by its... Right, you got it. Um, tomorrow night, the Browns play the Steelers. First time since 1989 they've been picked to win at Three River Stadium. How about that? Unbelievable. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. And we are going to smear, we are going to cut down the Steelers at Three River Stadium. But that brings me to another proverb. Pride comes before a... Right, yeah. But that one actually comes out of the book of Proverbs. That's Proverbs 16, 18. Some proverbs like that one are very easy to understand. There are some Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that are not so easy to understand and require serious reflection. In fact, Tim Keller says, reading through the book of Proverbs should be sort of like putting a hard candy in your mouth. It's, it's not meant for immediate consumption. You need to let it roll around and let the flavor sink in. Proverbs requires reflection. Now, let me ask you, why is the book of Proverbs even in the Bible? A brilliant guy by the name of Derek Kidner writes these words. The book of Proverbs contains details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets and yet decisive in personal dealings. What he means is the book of Proverbs eliminates the loopholes you might find from the law, the Ten Commandments, etc., or the prophecies. It, it, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs deals with the nitty-gritty of life. It, 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 it shows us the how-tos of life and how to go at life in a way that honors God and honors people around us. 
the book of Proverbs shows us how we can stop learning things the hard way. Now, I like to imagine a trail going through the book of Proverbs. And you and I, we're going to hike a trail through the book of Proverbs. And as we hike this trail, we are going to gain all kinds of wisdom, right? Maybe you've been hiking before, like in a national park. At the start of every major trail, there is, at the trailhead, there is a sign. And on this sign, it tells you what you need to know about that trail, what you need to bring with you. It, brings, it gives some disclaimers, some warnings, and so on. Proverbs, the trail through Proverbs has such a sign at the very beginning. And on that sign are the first seven verses of Proverbs. And I want to walk you through what it says on that sign. Just the first seven verses. What you can expect then in the next 31 chapters. And this is how it begins, this sign. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose, the purpose of Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. So already we understand that Proverbs is meant to give wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Very generally, we can say this. The word wisdom comes from a Hebrew word that means skill. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll find people who were skilled in Artistic design, skilled in war, skilled in governing, skilled at guiding a, a boat through the open waters. Navigational skills. Skills. That's what wisdom is. Skills. But you'll see how wisdom is tied to the word discipline, which means somebody who is moral, somebody who is morally skillful, somebody who can choose what is right and do what is right. So this is what we can say. Wisdom is being morally skillful. Are you morally skillful? But we can say more than that because as we look at that verse, it goes on to say it to help them understand the insights of the wise. So in addition to being morally skillful, wisdom is also being mentally discerning. And who among us does not here need help you know, deciding between what is good, better, and best? Who among us doesn't need help discerning what to do in those gray areas of life? That's what Proverbs is meant for. Now, Solomon does us a favor and drills down a little bit more into what it means to be morally skillful and mentally discerning. In the very next verse, this is what it looks like to be morally skillful. Their purpose, the purpose of Proverbs, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right and just and fair. The Proverbs will help us to understand how to choose right, do right, how to stand up for causes that deserve standing up for, how to do what is fair so it's not just about me, it's about others as well. But he goes on in helping us understand what it means to be mentally discerning. He says, these Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. But this brings me to a question. What does he mean by the simple? He means the young. Parents, in many ways, the book of Proverbs is for the adolescents in your home. It's for the adolescents in this church, the adolescents in our community. They are the simple. They are the young. The book of Proverbs goes on to say that the simple are the gullible ones. They are the ones who tend to be on the fence. They are the ones who are undeclared in which way they're going to go in life. They're unsure. They'll go this way, this way. Should I follow this crowd or follow this crowd? You know what I'm talking about. They are the simple, the young. 
the gullible. And Proverbs can help them become wise. But let's be honest for a moment, can we? (laughs) We still have enough adolescent left in us. (laughs) All of us at times are rather simple. We can be gullible. We also sit on the fence at times, and we need to become more mentally discerning. So Proverbs is meant to make us wise, morally skillful, and mentally discerning. Maybe you consider yourself wise already. This is what Proverbs says to us. These Proverbs will give insight to the... Whoops, let me keep keep going. The wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. Do you consider yourself already kind of wise, smart, and gifted? Well, I've got something for you. It's a gift from Farside, the cartoon. I love this one. The Midvale School for the Gifted. As you're supposed to pull, he's pushing. And can't just, we, we just be honest, as wise as you might be, don't you still find yourself at times in life pushing when you should pull? The point is we can always become wiser, and Proverbs is not meant for someone else. It's meant for each of us. And then he goes on, by gaining wisdom, we gain wisdom by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Pop that hard candy in your mouth, let it roll around, and watch yourself become more morally skillful and mentally discerning. That is the book of Proverbs. Now we've been going down through this sign. This sign tells us what to expect in the next 31 chapters. But we come to verse 7, which I think is the most important verse on this sign. Not only that, it is the most important verse in all of Proverbs. And this is what it says. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What it's telling us is this. Go ahead, hike the trail but you will not get anything out of Proverbs. You won't get one thing. You will not get wisdom if there is not this, a fear of the Lord. Wow, that sounds scary. Is that what it means? It's a term we better understand because Proverbs begins with fear of the Lord. It ends with the fear of the Lord, and it is threaded throughout the book of Proverbs. So what does it mean, the fear of the Lord? I think simply this. It means someone who is humble, where there is a faithful surrender to the Lord. In short, it's somebody who takes God seriously and his word seriously. And when we have that, when we have that, now we can enjoy our hike through the book of Proverbs and wisdom will gradually come to us if we pay attention to the sign that we've just read. But if we don't pay attention to the sign we've just read, if there is no fear of the Lord, Proverbs is very clear about this. You will not be on the path of wisdom. You'll end up on the path of folly, the path of a fool. (laughs) And if you try to walk the middle path, by default, you will end up on the path of folly. Now, that's the book of Proverbs. A friend of mine just, just recently said to me, I've read through the book of Proverbs, and I find it overwhelming. I think, who can live like that? Because there are so many challenges in the book of Proverbs. And I thought, exactly. That's exactly where God wants us to be in reading through the book of Proverbs. We need to come to a point of helplessness. It's like, who can do that? Who can live like that? Maybe you know this, but paralleled with the book of Proverbs is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. 
The Sermon on the Mount is how do we live out the kingdom of God here on earth? And how does the Sermon on the Mount begin? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, who understand they need God. Theirs will be the kingdom of God. It's very much like the book of Proverbs. We read all of these things. and think, Who can live like that? I, I'm driven to my knees. Exactly. You'll read through the book of Proverbs and you will come across some themes, various themes, and you'll think, I can't get control of that. I can't, I can't, I, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, in some circles, they are known as the seven deadly sins. Don't you wonder what those are? <laughs> They're found throughout the book of Proverbs. They're found throughout all of Scripture. And this is what they are. Pride, which is the root of all the others. Anger, envy, gluttony, sloth, greed, lust. What's your favorite? I, we struggle with all of them. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be taking one at a time, exploring what Proverbs has to say about envy and then what the rest of Scripture has to say about envy. And we're going to learn how to fight these together and learn how to stop learning things the hard way. We're going to try to grow wise together through the book of Proverbs. That's Proverbs. Now, I want to take us to the book of Ecclesiastes, where we will also be. Um, maybe you've had this experience. I remember growing up, and Easter time was approaching, and somebody would give me a box with a, with a chocolate bunny rabbit in it, or, or a wrapped bunny rabbit in it. And it would get close to Easter, and, and finally I would unwrap it or take it out of the box, and I would bite into it, and it would be hollow. I think to myself, who thought up that idea? Hollow chocolate, come on, how disappointing, how frustrating. That, my friends, is very much the story of Ecclesiastes. Life is hollow. Life is disappointing if God is not at the center. Now, the, the word Ecclesiastes simply means teacher. And that's how the author of Ecclesiastes refers to himself. He refers to himself as the teacher. And our best guess is the teacher is Solomon, the same one who wrote most of Proverbs. And Solomon, at this point, when he's writing Ecclesiastes, is, is very old, and he's, he's reflecting on the many experiences in life he's had, the many lessons he's learned, and he has some things to say. And this is how his book, his 12-chapter book, begins. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Wow, I hope it gets better than that. Not very uplifting, but we better understand what he means because he says this over and over and over. And in some Bible translations, it's translated like this, vanities of vanities, life is just empty. A favorite preacher of mine some years ago, he was teaching from Ecclesiastes, and he translated meaninglessness and vanity of vanities like this, soap bubbles of soap bubbles. The other day, my wife and I were with our three-year-old granddaughter 
with a little soap bubble container, you know, the little, the little ring comes out and you blow through it and there are the bubbles and with delight she's running around chasing the little soap bubbles in the air and she grabs one and then it's just gone. And that's what the teacher is telling us. Life is here and then it is gone. It is like a, it's like a vapor. It's like, a, it's like the wind. It's like your breath. It's so fleeting. It's just soap bubbles, here and then gone. So, what is so meaningless? What is so vain? What is like soap bubbles? What is so fleeting? He tells us. He says, everything under the sun. Now, what does that mean? Under the sun means life lived here on earth. We need to come to grips with this term because he uses under the sun 29 times in just 12 chapters. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Life lived here on earth is just meaningless. That's what he says. Maybe you've heard this term or you've used this term this past week. There is nothing new under the sun. You've heard that before, haven't you? Did you know it comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1? What has been will be again. What has been done will be, will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. But what is it that will be again? What is it that will be done again? The things you laugh at. The stories we tell. Your job. Relationships we enjoy the air we breathe, the things that make us laugh. One day, somebody will take your place here on earth. It'll be done all over again. A couple weeks ago, my, my wife and I, we were in Boston visiting our son and his fiance, and we, we walked part of the Freedom Trail, and we walked through a graveyard where a person was born in 1600, died in the later 1600s, and over and over, it's the same story. Nothing brings you face to face with the temporariness of life than a graveyard. Soap bubbles of soap bubbles. That's what he's saying. This is such an uplifting book, isn't it? So what, 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 is, what is the teacher getting at? It is this. There has to be more then just we're born, we live, we die. There has to be more than just existing under the sun. And he says there is. Go ahead and enjoy your relationships. You should. It's a gift from God. Enjoy your fun. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your job. All the things that God has given us. But then, this is what he gets at. And this is so critical. And this is why it's in the wisdom books. The apex of wisdom the zenith of wisdom is when we discover that God is meant to live at the center of our lives. And this is how he ends his 12-chapter book. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes is for you and me. We don't have to live an empty life, a meaningless life. God wants to be at the center of our lives, and that is a picture 
of true wisdom when we arrive at that reality. That is the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, can I move us on to one more? We have to jump back. In our Bibles, it comes before the book of Psalms, and it is the book of Job. This is everyone's story right here. You know, sometimes the hardship, the pain, the suffering we're going through, we can draw a direct line between that and something stupid we've done, a bad decision. Sometimes you can draw a direct line between the hardship and pain and suffering we're going through and what someone has done to us. It's clear. But sometimes that hardship, that pain, that suffering, you can't draw a line to anything because you don't know why. And that is the story of Job. Can I just start you from the beginning and tell you what the story of Job is about? Um, at one point, I'll jump into the book of Ezekiel for a moment. Ezekiel says that Job is one of the three most righteous men who ever lived. There was Noah, Daniel, and Job. And this, the story of Job begins like this, that Job was an upright man who shunned evil. He had ten children, seven sons, three daughters. And he was incredibly wealthy. And he had one wife. And then in this crazy cosmic story, God has an interaction with this satanic character. And they agree to allow Job to be tested. And in just two chapters, this is what happens. Job loses all of his kids. They're killed. And Job loses his entire portfolio. And he loses all of his health just in those two chapters. And there's still 39, 40 chapters to go. <laughs> this is important. Job cannot draw a direct line between what he's going through and anything else. He has no idea. He has several friends who come alongside him who start very well for about a week. They just sit there and they practice the ministry of presence. They're very quiet, but then they can't help themselves. And they start explaining to Job why he's going through what he's going through. And Job, God would not let bad things happen to good people. Job, you must have sinned terribly to allow something of this magnitude to happen to you. But we, the readers, know that's not true. And this is the nutty thing. For 35 chapters, God is silent. As Job and his friends go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, it's like walking through deep weeds. God is completely silent. And we are left with this question, what are we to think of God? In Job's story, but into our lives, what are we to think of God? When you and I cannot draw a direct line between what we're going through and anything else, I mean, if God is all loving and he's all powerful, why isn't he doing anything? And for 35 chapters, God is quiet. Maybe like he's quiet in your life right now. But then at one point, God shows up in a storm. And he takes Job to school. And Job learns some things. And we'll go through this more in weeks to come. But this is some of what Job says. 
Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. What is Job saying? In a very real sense, he's saying, I didn't see it. In a very real sense, he's kicking himself. God, you see what I do not. You know what I do not. And now I turn to you. You were attempting to take me to a brand new level with you that could not have happened otherwise. I turn now and trust you. And now, my friends, we understand why Job is in the wisdom books. Because that is true wisdom. When we learn to trust God and we don't know what's around the corner. I told you we would return to the person of Jesus. Every book of the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, in some way, to some degree, points to the person of Jesus Christ, including the wisdom books. In the New Testament, we find verses like this. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ himself is called wisdom. In the book of Colossians, Paul says that wisdom itself resides in the person of Christ. What I'd like to do is just close with a, with a, with a simple prayer related to each book we've been through, each wisdom book we've been through. A little simple prayer that you can pray on your own. We think about the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs. It is Jesus himself, wisdom himself. And at points, wisdom calls out to us, come to me, like in chapter 8, check it out. Come to me, come to me, and I can make you wise. I can lead you to the point of being morally skillful and mentally discerning. And here's your prayer, Jesus. Give me the humility and strength of character to turn to you for real wisdom. And then we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, which could not be clearer. Life is empty if God is not in the center of your life. And Jesus himself would come along and say, I have come to give life and give it abundantly, to give it to the full. Give it to the, give it to the full and the full. What does it profit a man, Jesus said, if he has the whole world, but, but his soul is empty? Jesus, I don't want to live an empty life. This is your prayer. Jesus, I don't want to live an empty life. I surrender my life to you. And then we come to the book of Job. <clears throat> Job is an innocent man who goes through suffering and arrives at an understanding that God had a plan all along. Job points us to the person of Jesus, who is the more perfect Job, who also is an innocent sufferer, who all along understands what the plan of God is, that he would come and die on the cross, take our sins upon himself, and that he would rise again and ascend to heaven. And he would send to anybody who puts their trust in Jesus, his spirit, and now by his Spirit, 
He is able to strengthen us as we go through our own difficulties. Here's your prayer, Jesus. By your Spirit, lead me through these difficulties. Help me to trust in you. Could we just close with this invitation from the book of Proverbs? An invitation to you to seek wisdom through the Through the wisdom books, I invite you to read the wisdom books. Proverbs says, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. So here we go. On a path to learn wisdom, to grow in wisdom, so we can stop learning things the hard way. Let's pray. And now, God, thank you for your word. I pray now that um, you would direct our hearts toward yourself. Wisdom very much is having your perspective. Jesus, give us an understanding of who you are. Help us to see you as you are and help us to have a vision of how you see us and how you see life and help us to pattern our lives accordingly that we may be people of wisdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.